0: Welcome to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity. This is Chris Foulon, and on this podcast, we explore the careers of individuals who have broken into cybersecurity within the past five years so that you, our audience, can learn tips and tricks from how they approached it, what they did, so that you could break into cybersecurity yourself. Um, when I started my career, I didn't have something like this, and I, I think it's something absolutely helpful. We've had, over the three years, lots of great comments of individuals who have used the tips and tricks shared, so we wanted to continue the journey and finding amazing other people. Um, we're a big fan of diversity, whether that's background thought. Uh, Gender, culture. We want everyone to come on. So if you have a good story of breaking into cybersecurity, getting your first security title within the past five years, reach out. Happy to bring your story on. Um, We go live Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern. If you are on YouTube, please forget, uh, please don't. Please remember to subscribe and hit that <laughs> notification button if you're on podcast. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and share it with your, fa- your favorite people who are interested in cybersecurity. Today's guest, Jessica McMeans, um, she is a referral from one of our other favorite guests, uh, Samara. So we wanted to bring her on today Um She comes from an interesting background and I think one that relates very closely to cybersecurity that many don't consider. She comes from a risk background Mm -hmm. and then now she's a threat intelligence analyst. So Jessica, tell us about your background before you were in cyber and about yourself.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting. I've listened to so many of these over the past year and they've been so helpful to me. So I'm really excited. I hope that Maybe something about my experience or <clears throat> background helps and encourages someone else. And I always think it's really neat when I hear the stories that um, say, "When I was a kid, I just played with computers all the time. I broke them apart and reconfigured them." Unfortunately, that wasn't me. I don't think I even used a computer till high school. Um, I took a couple CAD classes and a typing class, and that was pretty much my exposure until I went to college. And um, going into college i didn't really know what i wanted to do all i knew was that i liked statistics and i was trying to find a degree program that was exclusively statistics but that didn't really exist (laughs) um so the closest thing i could find was at ohio state they had a degree program at the time that was a combination of applied mathematics statistics and computer science so i thought "Hmm, i'll do that that works (laughs) that fits the bill to some degree and um I actually ended up loving the computer science classes and did really well in all the Java classes and ended up working in the computer science department as a consultant, just helping other students with their programming classes. And um, unfortunately, my sophomore year, I know most of you are probably familiar with Ohio State. It's a huge university. Even when I was there, I think we had close to 50,000 undergrads. But they came to me and said, there's only five people in your degree program. No one likes statistics and (laughs) they said you have to choose something different (laughs) and and this is where I look back and I see I could have gone a couple different directions and maybe if I could rewind time a little bit I would choose a different one (laughs) we have
0: mixing if we could if I could go back that's exactly where I'd want to go to
1: true hindsight's always 2020 I guess (laughs) but um I wish I was about to say I decided to be a computer science major. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, that was not the case. I kind of looked at the degree program and I had taken an econ class at the time and really saw some neat applications of math and statistics in that field and in econometrics and game theory. And in the computer science program, the next class I was going to have to take was COBOL. And I didn't really want to take COBOL. (laughs) So I became an econ major. (laughs) And um, so kind of just went left the computer science stuff and kind of went down that investment risk math pathway, had a couple internships in college with large investment banks. um, And then after college, got my securities license and ended up for most of my career modeling investment portfolio risk and some other facets of risk kind of around that space. But what was common to every role I had was that I worked with stakeholders in all parts of the business. Mm -hmm. And what I thought was really fascinating were kind of always the brushes I had with information security and IT. And I remember it's probably, gosh, been it's been at least 10 years now because it was very early in the world of crypto. Someone came to me and said, we have an institution that they've got something on their balance sheet called Bitcoin and we don't (laughs) know what's going on. (laughs) So that was kind of my first introduction to crypto and cyber risk. Mm -hmm. And I thought several times about pivoting my career, but just didn't have the bandwidth or the appetite or even the knowledge. I kind of just made the poor assumption that I would have to go back to grad school. Um, Turns out that wasn't the case. And maybe at the time it might have been, but now it seems like there are so many free and affordable resources to learn that may not have existed then. So um, I guess fast forward a little bit through my career. And then a couple years ago, I have kids. My youngest was a couple years from kindergarten, and I kind of decided that I just wanted to stay home full-time until she started school. And I always had the intention of going back to work. But a few months in, I started thinking about whether I really wanted to go back to this risk and finance arena, or if maybe this was my one chance to pivot my career. And that's kind of what I decided. Um, My husband actually pivoted his career almost five years ago, I think. Um, And he was a pen tester at the time and he said, we just we need more diversity in the field. You have a great skill set. A lot of what you know could be applied. I think you could do well. So I kind of had a little boost of confidence there that maybe I could mm-hmm. learn enough um, with my foundation to pivot. And so I decided to start with um, the Security Plus. I knew kind of some of the content area just because of my risk background and thought that would be kind of a to be honest, an easy, affordable way to get started (laughs) and give me some good foundation knowledge. And then I had started down the AWS certification path because cloud was interesting to me. And before I got too far along, I kind of stumbled upon the SANS Diversity Cyber Academy. And for anyone listening, if you Google that, it will come right up. Um, But took their cyber assessment, scored high enough to move along and through the interview phase. And eventually I was accepted into the program and that afforded me the opportunity to earn three SAN certifications in six months for free. So yeah, it was an amazing opportunity. And I would say that um, was huge in my career. I know you and lots of your guests kind of talk about demonstrating your learning and having that project and maybe some doing, doing some things. So you have something to talk about and show. Mm-hmm. And for me, that really added a lot of credibility to my program. It gave me some hands-on experience with tools, um, some things to talk about that I've learned and done and something on paper for me. So, And then as of March, I had my first job. I work in threat Intelligence now, as you said. So it's pretty exciting.
0: Well, let, let's dive into that a little bit. Um, I, I let's take us back to when you quit your, your finance job and you were looking at alternatives. Um, mm-hmm. Did you just look at cybersecurity or um, did, did you consider other opportunities and then why cybersecurity security was the ultimate choice?
1: No, in my mind, it's something that had piqued my interest numerous times throughout my career. So it was either I was going to make this jump or stick with what I knew. I hadn't really considered anything
0: else. Okay. So a- as you started to look into the roles, um, what roles piqued your interest? And how did you go about choosing any certifications or any of the SANS courses? Because I'm guessing you had a, you had to choose from several. Like, how did you choose what you chose?
1: Well, honestly, I'm glad I didn't have to make many of those choices because in the SANS program, they kind of tell you these are the certifications you're going to (laughs) do. So (laughs) they start you with the foundations. You take the Mm -hmm. GSEC and the GCIH, which are great. And I think um, the idea of the program is to equip students with the skills that are typically required for maybe for your first job in cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people end up in SOC roles. So those are good certifications for that. And then the third certification, if you choose to, you do have some options. And I had already received a job offer. So I went with the threat intelligence certification since it okay. was so applicable to my role. But yeah, I did. To go to, back to your point, It is there's an ocean of opportunity, I feel like, in so many different specializations. It's really hard to navigate that and understand so I was fortunate in that my hand was forced a little bit. I didn't have to consider
0: <laughs> so all of like those face.
1: <laughs> well, But yeah, starting like, with the foundations was was huge.
0: <laughs> one of the things that I think about a lot um, throughout my career is exactly the role that you were in, um, and one of our guests is saying, "Congratulations! What are some of the transferable skills?" And that that's the question that I was going to ask. Like In your risk modeling, do you see yourself currently modeling cyber risk or using that experience to make decisions right now?
1: Yeah, every day, actually. I think that's a great question for career changers. I think you really have to evaluate your experience, not discount it, because it's incredibly valuable to whatever the future role you hope to have. Um, I would say that I told someone the other day, I don't know. Some days I don't feel like I've changed careers that much. I feel like I'm just analyzing a different set of data. And but I had to acquire knowledge to analyze that set of data. Mm -hmm. So I definitely say that my analytical skills and those quantitative capabilities come in handy every day. And then also um, just the uniqueness of my previous roles, working with stakeholders in different parts of the business and up and down the business. I think um, there's definitely a need for communication and writing skills, which I know no one loves <laughs> <wants> to demonstrate. <laughs> so, being able to do some of those things that are helpful in business roles really transfer well to the cyberspace. I think.
0: Uh, and l- let's talk about that stakeholder engagement. How how does that stakeholder engagement Work on the threat intelligence side because I I think some people think threat intelligence is about just looking at uh, the data pulled in from the threat intel feeds or going out on Twitter and seeing who's being attacked or um, how 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 do you use threat intel in your role to to work with all those stakeholders?
1: Yeah, I mean that is a lot, but. Um the threats that any organization is exposed to touch different parts of the business. So it's important to understand um, those pieces and be able to work with those stakeholders. But also once you identify a threat, if you can't communicate um, the need and the risk and the magnitude of it, then there's really no point in your job. I feel like (laughs) it's, it's nice for our team to understand it and to see the imminent threat we potentially face, but if we can't communicate that to decision makers, um, then I don't think we can do our jobs effectively.
0: Well, let's talk about that. So how do you, how do you go about quantifying a a cyber risk in a way that an executive, um, can understand? (laughs)
1: That's, that's my goal for this year. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I don't know if you've talked to Samar about this, but I mean, it is really, it is challenging. Um, It's possible, Mm -hmm. but that's one of my major tasks for this year is to build models to quantify that risk in a way that the business understands. And ultimately, the business understands dollars. They understand the PML, the profit and loss statement, and they want to see how it impacts the bottom line.
0: Uh, Absolutely, and I I think, one of the ways and it's the it doesn't involve the modeling but it involves saying the application or the system that is impacted um the the potential for an outage what that outage might cost on an hourly basis if you understand that um and I, I'm sure from your finance background uh you know who to talk to to try to get those numbers and <laughs> try to <Yes>. quantify that
1: <laughs> right and that's and that's another piece threat intelligence is so broad um there's so many different areas you could specialize in you may be able to identify threats but you're not going to be an expert on every system or technology or product that's impacted so being able to first track down those people and then have conversations with them so you can understand how the threat translates into a specific risk for the business is important so i think you mentioned a good point
0: um one of the uh comments from our guest Sterling. Thank you for joining us Sterling. Um I'm starting to see a lot more in role expectations, technical presentation, technical writing in simple terms. Great point. Communications grad here working on getting in the tech space and swiftly uh into something that's more cyber defense related. But thanks for joining us uh Sterling. Yeah. What what were some of the the challenges that you faced um after your Sands course. So you did a lot of studying, you did you did some hands on tools, but um now you're in a real world job. Um what were some of the unexpected learnings and what were some of the the transferable skills that you were like, huh, I didn't think I could apply it that way from your finance background.
1: <sighs> that's a tough question. I mean I feel like I'm learning every day still.
0: <laughs> <There's> <laughs> that's so that's okay. Much that-
1: <laughs> but it's great. I think that's one of the things I like about the field is that there's always something to learn. I felt like in my previous career, I'd kind of gotten to the point where I wasn't going to learn much more about securities than already existed. So, but um, some of the challenges or unexpected challenges I've faced. I don't know. That's a really <laughs> tough one. I think, um, The communication part is a challenge because you have teams that aren't familiar with that aspect or maybe don't have some of those skills. Or as we mature these processes, any organization right now, um, well, depending on the organization you work in, you may not have the most mature processes. So you're trying to build those Mm -hmm. and create bridges with people. And so that's always a challenge just when you're working with people and in a large organization. I, I think you guys now work for Cardinal Health, but it's an enormous organization. And I think that was an unexpected challenge for me. I still don't know if I understand the business completely. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I feel like I learned something new every day about Cardinal Health.
0: <laughs> it, it, it really does take time. And I mean, for example, my current I work for a big financial institution. And even after a year, I'm finding out new products and servicing that they they do. Um, But over my career, I've seen organizations um, change their perception of risk or risk communication up the chain from red green stoplights to starting to quantify in numbers or risk impacts and putting that into dollars and cents. What, what are some of the things for the financial majors, uh, the math majors, the teachers, that they could bring from their career, um, potentially into threat intelligence or into cyber from your perspective?
1: I think exactly what you said. I mean, your sector is really mature in that space, I feel like, compared to a lot of other sectors. Um, so there's already some good work there, but someone coming in and, having a security perspective and that knowledge, but then also having the quantitative capabilities. I'm sure I know people in your organization on the risk team have PhDs in mathematics. So not that you have to know that much math to to perform well in cybersecurity or focus on that aspect of risk in the space, but having some foundational skills and just experience modeling um losses and just understanding the principles behind those and just common decision analysis is key. I think those would transfer really well.
0: Okay. Okay. Um so you mentioned in, in the studying that you did, uh you did the foundation, the GCIH, is that the incident response one?
1: Yeah. That's incident okay. handling. Yeah.
0: And, and what were some of the, the surprises in that course that, that you any insights from what you learned in those courses that might be valuable for those considering uh, going through those types of courses?
1: Yeah, I would say, um, specifically to the SANS, definitely figure out your system of study. If you don't have a plan of attack, it is there's so much content. <laughs> and then also spend for that certification in particular. That's probably one that many viewers maybe um may have the opportunity to take in, in their first role. Um, spend as much time with the hands-on labs as you can. Not only will that help you do well on the exam, it will help you in your job. Get as yeah. much hands-on as you can.
0: I did the, the GSLC, so to say, security leadership uh, uh-huh. certification. Uh, I'm lucky it didn't have any hands-on lab, but um, <laughs> there was close to a thousand plus pages of content that they (laughs) allow you to study open book. And (laughs) yes, it it definitely makes studying a little bit harder. Um, So you mentioned you're learning every day. What are some of the ways that, that you keep up with the industry to um, stay ahead or with with the changes coming?
1: Well, um, one thing I love about our, our organization, I have, I feel like I have an amazing team and even the other teams I work with are wonderful. I really appreciate everyone I interact with. Um, So we share a lot of information across the org, which is helpful. And then there's if you just Google, obviously, there are so many resources, but I kind of start my day with news every day to see. And then I'm also a member of some information sharing or groups. So that's really helpful as well. And then staying plugged into social media, I'm not the best at it, to be honest. I don't enjoy social media, but there are a couple <laughs> things I like to keep tabs on. Um, I'm really interested in OSINT. So I always do the Trace Labs um, events. There's one coming up next weekend, actually, if anyone's interested. So um, I just stay connected with people. I think that really it helps and it helps filter out a lot of the stuff you don't necessarily need to see and then find a couple sources you have confidence in for information and then i think you're pretty good.
0: So you you mentioned osint and that's open source intelligence for mm-hmm. those that might not know the acronym. H- how do you go about doing that in your role? Like what so let's just say someone generically in the, the healthcare or the finance sector is looking for open source intelligence, what sort of methodologies do you use or what tools do you use to, to keep yourself informed?
1: Yeah, it's, I still have some things to learn for sure. <laughs> but I think um, event, CTF events are a great way. Usually, The first one I did, I was a little intimidated because I thought I'm probably going to go in here and not be able to achieve anything. But they're really beginner friendly and everyone will find something. And then you learn more than you find usually. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's a great way to continue learning in that space. A lot of the resources you mentioned, um, cyber threat specifically and threat intelligence, Mm -hmm. depending on your organization, you may or may not use a lot of OSINT. Mm -hmm. in the terms you think of it, but you do a lot of online research regarding specific malware campaigns or threat actors, Um, organizations, how they employ this is varies significantly, but you might have access to third-party tools that will glean a lot of dark web information Mm -hmm. for you. So, but having those research and utilizing your open source skills is helpful, even if you're not doing what you think of where you're just, spying on your neighbor trying to build a profile (laughs) of someone you don't know I think that's what most people think of when they hear OSINT but but some organizations do that as well some might do that proactively to see what kind of exposure a digital footprint their executives have and may pose risk to the organization so it depends on where you're at a little bit Um, doing it hands-on is the best
0: And for you, so OSINT might be a new skill set that you acquired coming into the cyber field. Mm -hmm. How did you go about um, learning more about it? Or was it just like, Google, do this, Google, do that? Like, what was your approach?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, I say, I always tell people, I feel like I had a pretty good foundation in OSINT as a teenage mom, like as a mom of teenagers, (laughs) I think I was doing some osinty type stuff way before I knew what it was. Absolutely. <laughs> so I want to know who these people are that are, my kids are hanging out with. Um, but then um, there are some organizations that have labs set up for you so that you can download their lab and work from there with a lot of tools. There's also some good frameworks out there for OSINT. You kind of, kind of work through the framework to find information and provides resources. I believe um, I believe the framework is a SANS framework, actually. I'll have I think to Google so. that and see. If but
0: within, I
1: mm-hmm. think that's a great way to start just kind of procedurally going down and learning what some of the tools are available. And they change a little bit, but that one's pretty well updated. But um, so just like I said, for me, I'm a learner. I learn best by doing things.
0: And how do you how do you keep up with it? Like, do you have a virtual <laughs> machine at home that you keep doing things? Um, or what do you do to stay current with that?
1: I do have a virtual machine I use and I try and do every Trace Labs search party I can because I enjoy it. It's a good cause, co- it's for a good cause. And then I also learn something every time I do it.
0: Do you ever use uh try hack me, hack the box, any of those tools?
1: I have. That's not my area of interest as much. My husband would have loved me to become a pen tester, but (laughs) not what I wanted to do. So I've spent enough time on those um, to learn some basics, but Mm -hmm. it's just not my area of interest. And I think that's important to note too. This is such a broad field. You really have to understand where your strengths lie and maybe where your interest is and kind of focus. If you try and master everything when you're first starting, you'll just feel so defeated.
0: (laughs) So that's a great question. How did you figure out like where your interests lied? I mean, um, your husband was a pen tester, but you were totally in finance. So how did you narrow that down?
1: Well, um, seeing what he did helped and uh, just seeing how his personality lended really well to that field and how my personality is very different. It may not lend as well to those types of roles. And then um, I didn't see how my past experience translated there quite as well, the quantitative pieces specifically, but I felt like it just transferred really well into this role. And I actually had a couple job offers, but this one, when I went through the job description, I almost felt like it was tailor made to me. I had to have security knowledge, but someone who could communicate risk, and so I kind of ended up going that way, doing part to the job description, and mm-hmm. then also the team I met during the process. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd say it was a combination of events that led me down the threat intelligence and. Uh, um, maybe prior to obtaining the role, I don't know that I realized it was as good a fit as it is. So I (laughs) think it was very fortunate in that regard. But yeah, I, I, so I was able to quickly eliminate some things, narrowing it down to one specific path Mm -hmm. in cyber threat. I don't know that I necessarily knew I wanted to be in threat intelligence right off the bat. I think it was a little bit of luck there too. (laughs)
0: So a little bit of guidance from SANS and then a little bit of guidance from the job description and just a great team. I mean, I think that's important, right? When when you're interviewing a company, not only are they interviewing you, but you're interviewing them. You want uh, good coworkers. You want good leadership. You want a good organizational culture. Uh, you want all those things. So you have to figure out, find that from them and see if they have it.
1: Absolutely. I mean, if you think if I think back over my career, there are some jobs that I have not loved, probably, but I had maybe a great team and that made it. Sometimes that makes or breaks a job, I feel like.
0: Mm -hmm. One of the the questions from our guests is, are there what certs do you do you recommend um, or any tools that you recommend? If you remember off the top of your head.
1: Oh, Gosh, whoever, I missed the name, but if you want to send me a message on LinkedIn, I'm happy to look them up. I have a bunch of bunch bookmarked, but definitely that VM available from Trace Labs is awesome. Um, the OSINT framework from SANS is great. Um, and certification does cover a little bit of OSINT, but I think they have one now, I'll have to see. Do they have a new certification?
0: They're always creating new ones. I mean, (laughs) last I looked, they were doing a cloud one. And, but the courses that they create might not always have a certification to it. Um,
1: That's true. This one does. It's, I just saw it It is.
0: So last comment is from Nicholas. Great advice, really need to figure out where my own skills fit in the area. Mm -hmm. And Nicholas is a a police constable. based on my LinkedIn profile, I think your detective skills could definitely come in very helpful. Mm -hmm. So um, definitely do that self-discovery. We're at the half hour mark. So uh, Jessica, I like to summarize everything. And is there any piece of, what would one piece of advice to summarize your whole transformation into cybersecurity for some of our guests would be?
1: I would say find at least one person, a couple people who will not only encourage you because it's tough and daunting, but also challenge you because otherwise I wouldn't do things like this. <laughs> so
0: Perfect. I mean, well, th- th- it, there is a, a saying that says um, you are the sum of all the people you hang around with. So if you if you have some challenging people around you, they they definitely work to challenge you. Yeah. Um Everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Jessica, thank you for sharing your advice, you. your journey, and coming on this adventure with us. And to everyone else, um, if you're on YouTube, please subscribe. If you're on podcasts, please subscribe and share this with anyone who might be interested, all those in math, science, um, financials, so that they could come over to cybersecurity as well. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you.
1: Bye. Uh, thank you